from his very being can extinguish all life everywhere forever. This is a God of power. I need him to be that. But I need him to be more than that. And he has revealed himself to be more than that. This God that we fear, the God of this Bible, is gracious. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. That word bless, it comes from the root word to kneel. To worship or to praise. If God blesses you, he has given you a reason to kneel down and praise him. That's how it works. If you voluntarily decide to bless God, then you kneel and give your life to him. To bless God is to kneel, is to surrender. That's what it really means. The next blank is about his mercy. <clears throat> this whole psalm. We fear a God who is gracious, but also his mercy begets our gratitude. Write that down. His mercy begets our gratitude. And it doesn't stop there. You're going to see in David. He has a lot of gratitude, a lot of thankfulness spilling out. He understands God is holy. He understands God is gracious. He understands God is merciful. And he is grateful. But then he takes it a step further. And so should we. Our gratitude should bloom into praise. We're not just grateful and sit on it. We're grateful and overflow with it. It becomes who we are, a people of praise, a people of worship, a people who honor God with their lips and their hearts. In spirit and in truth. As we look through Psalm 145, I've broken it up into three main points. Grace, mercy, and praise. <clears throat> he is gracious. He is merciful. And it should turn into praise. Interesting thing about Psalm 145. It is an acrostic poem. Which means, in the original language, each line of this psalm begins with a different letter in alphabetical order. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. How many verses are there in your Bible? 21. Thank you. Unless you have a cutting-edge, recently uh, adapted Bible, it should only have 21. And look between verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 begins, your kingdom. And in my Bible, there's a bracket. There's a phrase that's in brackets there. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. That phrase was lost for a while in translation. And they found it and put it back. How did they know where to put it? 
because verse 13 begins with one letter of the alphabet, and then the verse 14 begins with a different letter, and they're not supposed to be together. It was missing a letter. They went back, dug through the manuscripts, found the right line, put it back in. So that's why there's a bracket in there. It's not been, it's not been added by the translator, not been edited or worked back in there just because it's poetical. It, it belongs. So if in your Bible there are brackets there, that's why it's like a slam dunk when it comes to uh, textual criticism. It's a big word for you, I know. Uh, but that's where it fits, and it's good. Now, what version of the Bible has 22? What are you reading? Oh, you tricked me. I thought, man, she's got a cool Bible. I've never, I couldn't, I looked through my translations and I couldn't find one. Tricked me. Good job. Um, so there are 22 verses. We're sneaking one in there. So there's like a bonus verse between 13 and 14. But I wanted to address that before we got any further. <clears throat> Grace, verses 1 through 7. Look at verse 3. Great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable what makes God so great well he created all things yep what else makes him great uh, king of kings yep what does that mean that he's great see he, well he's the greatest he's sovereign he's independent nobody tells God what to do that's why he's great. And there is no one greater, no one above him. He is great and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. He's so great, verse 4, one generation shall commend his works to another over and over and over again. There isn't going to be a generation of people who gets used to it. It's so great we can't stop talking about it it goes on and on and on the most astounding thing about God's grace is that he allows us to know him in your notes there to the right of the word grace I want you to write creator God God didn't have to create it was an act of grace that he shares his creativity, he shares his creative power with creation, that he brings creation forth. That was an act of grace. Nothing deserves that. Nothing deserves life. Nothing deserves to know him. We can't rise up to that standard. And he is self-sufficient all by himself, and he was happy as God. But he decided to create, he decided to share Here's our typo in the, in the notes. Davis. Man, it's going to grind on me for a while. David. David focuses on extravagant, undeserved generosity. That's what grace is. Grace is undeserved. If somebody graces you, it means you didn't deserve whatever they did to you. We talk about that a lot. Verse 5, the glorious splendor of your majesty talking about his person that's what David is fixated upon his majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate God's works are his power David is going to over and over again have this dualism rolling through there 
uh, of who God is and what God does. Who God is and what God does. It's beautiful. His person, his majesty, his works, his power. David says, I'm going to think about that. I will meditate on it. Because his works, his acts, his majesty, his power, verse 6, they all speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. He uses that word great a lot. It's because he sees God's grace and he recognizes God's greatness in the grace. What else? Another definition of grace. Grace is an unmerited, unearned favor from God to us. Yes, we can grace one another. But ultimately, God is the definition of true grace. He owes us nothing and he gives us everything we have. Which is amazing because he's the God of all power and he can withhold everything as well. And he'll still be good. He's not good just because of what he gives you. He is good. He's gracious because of all that he gives you. Because you're not good. Grace is given and received. It's not paid out and deserved. Then we would earn it. And that's the opposite of grace. God displays his goodness as our creator, as all-powerful, by giving us everything we have, everything we need to live and breathe. And I stand by the fact the most gracious thing God ever does is allow us to know him. He has spoken. He has revealed himself, and he didn't have to. He could have been distant. He could have been silent, but he has spoken. That's grace. He allows us to know him, and we need to take advantage of that. This is why David wants to praise God, wants to exalt, extol, worship God. This is why David wants to bless God, because he sees God as good and gracious, his creator, David understands he doesn't deserve that. And he's acknowledging the grace, the goodness of God. Um, and be careful, there's a little warning here. Be careful that we don't fall into the modern habit of loving God because of how he loves us. Because of how he has blessed us. We need to learn to love and fear God because of who He is, not because of how He treats us. And that's, that's even a danger with grace. I love God because He's gracious to me. We should fear and love God just because He's the creator of all things. Because of who He is. On top of that, we also learn to love and fear Him because of how He treats us. He is gracious, but don't, don't pull that graciousness out and make that all that God is. He's so much bigger than that. And the tendency for finite beings is to put God in bite-sized boxes and take what we like here and there instead of remembering He is everything. 
He's everything. And we may gravitate towards one particular thing on the buffet line <laughs> and gorge on that, but then not have room for this, not spend time on this, when, when there are hundreds, thousands, millions of things about God. What do you think we're going to do for eternity? Praise what about Him? That's what we don't know. We don't know the everything about who He is. We are going to have to spend the rest of eternity exploring, getting to know, fellowshipping, worshiping, loving, receiving, and giving life with God. That's fascinating. So there's grace. God as our creator. Mercy. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Put a star by that in your, ver in, your, in your Bible. Underline that verse. That is the most common description of God in the Old Testament. That is... That is amazing. There are not two different gods in this Bible. The Old Testament is not a contrast with the New Testament. The New Testament is an amplification and magnification of the same God who is here. You see all the grace and love and mercy that's in Jesus? You see that, right? We feel that. It's very personal. He's very, very nitty-gritty. He gets down into your life. He'll, he'll wash feet. He'll touch lepers. It's the same God. Jesus is gracious and merciful because He's always been gracious and merciful because that's who God is. There are not two different versions of God in the Bible. It's one God. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger. Write down the word fatherly in the next blank. This is how fathers should be. Fathers need to always remember they're dealing with children. They're always dealing with somebody with less experience. They're always dealing somebody with somebody who has a different perspective, shorter perspective. Limited perspective, limited experiences. Now, full disclosure, none of us have perfect fathers. So there could be a disconnect here. Some fathers are better than others. Some fathers are more disciplinarian than others. Some fathers are more gracious than others. But none of us have had a perfect father that is like God. And we need to acknowledge that, right? Don't project all of your experiences onto, well, that's how God is. Wrong. Learn who God is, and then let that become your new reality. Because he's a much bigger reality than your earthly father. David sees this. God is slow to anger. That's fatherly patience, fatherly endurance, abounding in steadfast love. 
What does steadfast love do? Steadfast love covers a multitude of sins. That's the way Peter phrases it, 1 Peter 1.8. 1 Peter 1.8, Peter says to the church, Love one another deeply, comma, love covers a multitude of sins. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. Not one. All of our guilt and sin and shame before God is like filthy rags. All of our self-righteous deeds, they all fall short. There's nothing we do to rise up or to outdo our bad. We cannot do enough good works for God to call us good. Only God is good. Mercy means God doesn't punish you with the punishment you deserve. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all stolen. We've all told half lies, half truths. We've all been deceptive. We've all put ourselves above other people at some point. We're all guilty. We deserve punishment. If you haven't been struck down by God, shoo, that's mercy. He did not destroy you. I, yeah, struck in is not a word. Struck, strike, stricken. Yeah. If you are alive, God has given you mercy. That's good. That's good news. But mercy doesn't, mercy alone doesn't get you to heaven. Mercy alone doesn't tell you who God is. It just means he passes over you. He lets you live another day. See, we need grace and mercy together. Perfectly together. Just like we need fear and love for God together. That's the correlation I see. We, we understand grace and mercy, I think, better than we do how we understand how grace and mercy mingle together better than we understand how fear and love mingle together. Just like that. That they're not oil and water. They're not fire and ice. They're not two different things that even though, no matter how hard I learn about them, they always separate. They're always different. Well, they're, they are individual elements or things or truths but they're like hand and glove. And you get to choose which perspective you're focusing on. Fear the Lord is good. Loving the Lord is also good. And they go well together. Oh. I'm always encouraging people, Christian music, Christian radio, it's good, it's wholesome, it's good for the whole family. But man, there are a lot of bad songs on there. Because yeah, of course I... Of course, you know, I'm in the middle of this fear this series, right? Wisdom and, 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 and what radio should, what, what, what song is on the radio now? Fear is not my future, you are. That is a lyric that just keeps bouncing around. There's a song. Fear is not my future, talking about God, you are. Like, yeah, fear is your future. You're going to fear and love God forever. Like, what kind of bad theology is that? There's no, I know what he's trying to say. He's saying, I don't need to be afraid of anything. 
Yeah, that's, that's right. So spend a little longer on your lyrics. Maybe go to Bible college. But the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures. It is good. The fear of the Lord is awesome. I don't want that to go away. Fear of the Lord is my future. Because it is. T- turn back to Psalm 103. Brain flash. Where is that? We talked about this. We talked about this. Yeah, Psalm 103, verse 11. This is one of the points on the fear of the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, great is his steadfast love towards who? God's steadfast love is great towards those who fear him. Fear and love go together. God wants us to fear him. That's one way we show that we love him. God wants us to love him. One way we do that is by fearing him above all others. That's how where they work together. Fear is my future. I'm still going to sing that song. I'm not going to change the station, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to write any hateful letters. I'm just, but I need to warn you. Not everything Christian is wholesome or right. We need to have discernment in everything that we listen to and everything that we enjoy. And it doesn't mean we can't sing that song. Probably not do the song here. Got it. Message sent and delivered and received. Uh, but it's okay. As long as we understand what the Bible says, right? Don't swallow everything that's packaged by Crossway or Tyndale. Yeah, discernment, understanding. Back to Psalm 145. See, this is a a high seat, not a soapbox, so i got to be careful here. Steadfast love covers a multitude of sins. One more thing I want you to see about mercy. To the right of the word mercy in your notes, write... Redeemer, God. Redeemer, God. That's just bonus notes. In verses 1 through 7, I see how David is exalting God as the all-powerful creator. In verses 8 through 15, I see how David is focusing on the grace and mercy of a God who is also his redeemer. And it's both. God is creator of all things, but God is also the redeemer of his creation. His creation is broken, but he doesn't leave it that way. He's made a lot of promises on how he's going to fix things. So creator God, redeemer God. In verse 9, the Lord is good to all. Now, since we read the whole thing, we understand that verse 20 says, the wicked he will destroy. So how do we balance this idea that the Lord is good to all, but the wicked he will destroy? How do we, how do we balance that? Think of it this way. The wicked do not want God, and God gives them what they want. He's allowing them to get what they want. There's nobody... There will be nobody in eternity in hell 
weeping over their sins. They will continue to remain against God and against God's ways. There are no repentance. There are no regrets. They may have wants. Well, send somebody back to save my brothers. Dip your finger in the water and just put a drop on my tongue. You realize, of course, right, that that person is bossing around God and telling God what to do. Sorry, I gave them the law and the prophets. I have spoken, I have revealed myself. This is the way, the truth, and the life. And it goes through Jesus. God is good. The wicked have a lot of blessings. That's what I see in verse 9, general blessings. God has revealed himself in nature, his power, his divinity, his creativity, his Godhead. Listen to a thunderstorm. You realize you're very small. And in verse 10, all your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. That's specific. General blessing to all, even the wicked. He allows them to exist. That's a general blessing. God is good to give life. In verse 10, specific blessing to saints. Specific blessing to saints. And the last section of the psalm is a section of praise. Now, I understand grace, mercy, and praise. David's kind of mixed those in all along the way. We've got creator God. We've got redeemer God. And to the right of the word praise, I want you to write praise God as both. And what I mean by both is both our all-powerful creator, also our loving redeemer. He's both. We fear him for the power he can exhibit as God of gods, king of kings, lord of lords, high, exalted, majestic, great, great, greatly to be praised. We fear him for that because he's in charge of everything and we are not. But he has also said about himself, he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and he says, come to me. That takes the edge off. That takes the edge off when the three and a half foot Doberman puts his paws on your shoulders and licks your face. And I had a healthy fear of him. And I would not get between him and his food bowl. And I would not get between him and the mailman. God help the mailman. Just keep the door deadbolted. Wait for the mailman to pass. Even if you're late to go somewhere, you don't open that front door if the mailman's still within 100 yards. Ferocious. But kind. You get to know him. His nature doesn't change. We fear a good, gracious Father. And we don't deserve it. So David responds with praise. Verse 16. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
The Lord is righteous in all His ways. That's the Creator God. He's right in all His ways. And kind in all His works. That's the Redeemer God. See that? He, he bounces back and forth a lot. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. Creator, Redeemer. Verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. Nearness. To all who call on Him in truth. Oh, in truth. You have to come to God on His terms. <laughs> you believe He's God, you believe He's not. You believe Jesus is His Son, and you believe you're a sinner who needs the forgiveness that that son dispenses. That's how it works. You have to come to him in truth. Not your truth, his truth. Not your terms, not your way, his ways. All of them. All of them. Don't hide any of those. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Yes, if I fear God, I get everything I want. Check yourself for just a second here. Because <laughs> if what you want is not God himself, then you don't properly fear him. The reason this verse is here, because David understands, if you fear God properly, you're going to want God, and he's going to deliver. You'll get God. You don't fear God, and then he gives you everything. You fear God, and he gives you himself. Like he says to Abraham, I am your great treasure and reward. That's what made Abraham a man of faith. He wasn't looking for a city built by human hands. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He's looking for God's stuff, not human stuff, not earthly stuff, not temporary stuff. Our desires need to stop being so little, temporary, earthly, small and our prayers need to be god i need you god i want you show up be present guide direct me are you here listening those are the words of the wise we ask for god and more of him so the key next blank the key is to fear and love god first to fear and love god first he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. So the secret is fear him and love him. And then you're okay with whatever he gives you. You're okay with whatever diagnosis you get. Doesn't mean you can't fight it. Doesn't mean you can't take a prescription. Doesn't mean you can't get help. But you're okay with God and you're not against him. When you fear and love God, you accept everything from his hand. Because it's all a blessing. Well, but I'm about to die. That's a blessing. You're about to actually kneel before the Lord, your God, the creator and redeemer of your soul. What would Paul say? Oh, wait, I think I know. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Oh, how I want to know him. How he longs and desires in Philippians. Do we remember how much Paul longs to go and be with the Lord. Nevertheless, it is needful that I stay behind and cook you Thanksgiving dinner. And nevertheless, it's needful that I stay behind and change your diaper and tutor you 
and take care of my grandkids and take care of my spouse. Nevertheless, God has seen fit to give me a job and responsibility to help my city, to help my community, to help my neighbors. Nevertheless, God has put all these things in front of you to do, and they're all a blessing. Yes, because I can serve the Lord with every patient, with every customer, with every child, with every tantrum. I have a chance to serve God through everybody around me. That's amazing. That's how David sees it. That's how he's going to praise God through other people. Fear and love God first, and the rest takes care of itself. And not just first in order. Write down the word magnitude. First in magnitude. Because you can just make God one of a million things in your life and spend more time and energy on two, three, four, five, six, and seven than you do on God. So this is not about just acknowledging God as number one in your life. Well, I confessed Him as Lord, now I can do whatever I want. No. You confess Him as Lord and you make Him bigger, a bigger and bigger number one. God becomes one and two and three and he absorbs four and five and six. All the other relationships you've got going on in life start to feed into how do I use all these different areas of my life and just love and fear God correctly. Magnitude. And the fear turns to love. You see that in verse 19? He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Okay, we're talking about fear. He hears their cry and saves them. Oh, wait a minute, I'm going to have to suffer. If he has to save me from something, something's gone wrong. So I fear him. He hears my cry, and then verse 20, and then he preserves those who fear him. No, it doesn't say fear him there. What does it say in your Bible? The Lord preserves all who love him. Good grief. Pick a word and a topic and stay on point, David. Are we fearing God or are we loving God? Like, which is it? Both. Are, we, are you fearing God or loving God? Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, I do. I will. That's who I am. In my Bible, when I went through this, I started circling words in verses 16 through 20. I put a list of those words that I circled there. Satisfy, kind, near, fulfills, hears, preserves, destroys. The first time through, all, my mind just gravitated towards satisfy me now, kind to me now, near to me now, fulfill my desires now, hear my cries now, preserve me now destroy my enemies now i was just for some reason my mind just went there it was all present but david isn't just talking about the present he's talking about now and all of these things in eternity forever in eternity god will satisfy us forever god will be kind to us forever God will be near to all who call upon Him forever. God will fulfill our desires forever. God will hear our praise, our voice forever. God will preserve us forever. And also destruction is forever. 
God is eternal in all that He does as well. We fear a God who is gracious. We fear a God who is terrible and beautiful at the same time. He should make us tremble and rejoice. He is awesome and He is good. Last line, close out with this. As we read our Bibles, as we understand the grace and mercy of God, because it's coming, there's a lot more grace and mercy of God to come. As we absorb it, as we acknowledge it, grace and mercy leads us to fear and love God. That's it. To fear and love God. And they do go together. There is no perfect illustration of how to fear and love something. So we have to keep coming to church. We have to keep reading. We have to keep meditating. There is no perfect analogy, example, story. There's nothing perfect in your life that you perfectly fear and perfectly love. And there's a reason for that. Because there's only one being that deserves all of your fear and all of your love. And that is God. Stand with me. We stand before God this morning to honor and worship Him. Let's pray together. God, thank You. Thank You for being the God of all creation that your voice can calm a sea and split all the cedars. That your voice can bring amazing atonement, but also eternal judgment. We come to you as a God who we do fear, but who we also love. You are gracious, you are merciful. Teach us about both. And help us to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you 
By your perfect sacrifice I've been brought near Your enemy of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no way your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once you're in seated at your table Jesus thank you lover of my soul I want to for today is from Romans 15 verse 13 now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit Amen. Amen. you are dismissed